morning. All right, that'll be this. Good to be here with you. Um, I honestly would just like to take a moment and say it, it is a pleasure and honor to bring you all God's word um, to preach to you this morning. The reason why I say it, it's a pleasure to, to preach to you, to, to bring God's word, is because every time that I have to plan a sermon or any of your pastors have to prepare and plan a sermon, um, it is a wonderful opportunity for us to dive into God's word because we need God's word just as much as you do, and we need to apply God's word as pastors just as much as you do. And so every time I have the, the opportunity to dive into scripture, to set aside um, a lot of time to do that, um, it really is a blessing um, because we as pastors, we are busy. We have many things, um, many demands on our time, um, but diving back into God's word is awesome, and we need to be refreshed and renewed. And so I thank you um, just for giving me the opportunity, honestly, to preach before you, to be here with you guys, um, because when we dive into God's word, we enter into the master's joy. We enter into our father's joy as we learn about his word, as we take pleasure in the fact that it reveals sin, but that it gives us hope. And um, I needed that this week. I had a good week, but I had a hard week. And so I really needed it um, this week. And so um, church, I thank you for that opportunity. Um, it really is a pleasure to bring God's word to you. And I, I do that mean, I mean that sin, uh, sincerely. Um, but as I spent time looking at our text this week, the question that kept coming to mind as I looked at our text in Matthew was this, do I serve others because I take pleasure in my father's business? Do I serve because I take pleasure in what God's doing? Or do I begrudgingly serve out of an obligation or fear of being reprimanded by my father? In other words, do I do what my father asks me to do because I love him? And out of that love for my father, I find it a privilege to be included into his kingdom work? Or do I begrudgingly respond and I serve others um, because I fear what he might do to me if I don't? Or because that's just the good thing to do and I want to look good in front of other people? I ask us this question, uh, which I hope challenges our motivation for kingdom service, because our passage here is going to demand that we take an introspective look at our heart as we serve. The parable of the ten talents is a story that asks us, whose business are we really interested in? Are we interested in our Heavenly Father's business, or are we more interested in our own? And it's with this question in mind that we're going to go to the Lord and, and pray, um, because this is a chance for us to um, just to kind of calm our minds down, and uh, to prepare our hearts before we hear what God has to say to us in the text this morning. So please join me in prayer. Lord, you are good. You are faithful to us always. You have given us so much. We are truly blessed. And I know oftentimes we don't feel that way um, here in Northern Virginia when we compare our lives and what we have to what other people have around us. But the reality is we are truly wealthy in worldly standards, but also spiritually. Lord, I pray that we would change and that we would grow into a people who would not only care for those inside this church, but we would care for those outside in our communities. I pray we would be a people who would delight in using our time, our talents, and our treasures for your greater glory and our enjoyment. 
from us as the Lord, we pray that your words, that they would impact our lives today, that we would hear them, we would listen, that they would soak in deep, so that we not only just think about them, but that they'd actually begin to change the way we think, the way we live, once we drive out of the church parking lot. Lord, so that we too might invite others to delight in your kingdom work, because that is what you've created us for. Lord, help us to taste and see that you are good and that you do give us opportunities, Lord, to dive into your kingdom work and that you've called us also today to invite others, Lord, to um, delight in the work that you've called them to do as well. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. And the church says, amen. Amen. Well, before we look at our uh, text this morning, let me just give you a little bit of a brief context uh, so we can get our bearings where we've been and where we're going. So the past couple of weeks in Matthew, we've been looking at chapters 24 and 25. And as we've been doing that, Jesus has been preaching to us from the Mount of Olives. And he's been preaching to his disciples and saying, the end of the world is going to come. There will be trials, there will be difficulties before my second coming. And so he's warning them, the end will come. And so, he says, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you will not expect. So the Lord is telling us, not only are there going to be trials, there will be difficulties as the end draws near, but he also says Jesus will come when no one expects he will come like a thief in the night, for no one will know the hour or the day when he will come. And this has really been one of the main truths that we've been hearing over and over and over, that we are to wait for the Lord to be ready for his coming. Because no, none of us know when we will leave this life or when the Lord will come back. And so we are called to be ready. But today, what we're going to be looking at in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, we're going to see that Jesus is not only calling us to, to wait, but he's going to tell us, well, this is how I want you to wait. In other words, Jesus is going to tell us how he expects us, you and I, to live as Christians as we wait for his second coming, or if the Lord calls us home before then. And Jesus is going to do this in three parts this morning. First, he's going to show us the master's challenge in verses 14 through 15. Second, he's going to show us the servant's response in verses 16 through 18. And thirdly, the master's judgment in verses 19 through 30. That's where we're going this morning. That's what God has to show us and tell us about. So let's jump into the first part of our text. Let's look at the master's challenge in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them, and uh, we're going to read verse 14. It says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he, the master, went away. What we have here is Jesus using an analogy of a master and his servants to help his, un, to help his disciples understand the truth that God has given all of his people, all of their gifts, their talents, their resources. He's given them everything, and he's given them to you, to me, to his disciples, to everybody, 
for the sake of building up the kingdom of God. And while we wait for the king's return, there is kingdom work for us to do. This parable of the ten talents, it compares the wait for Jesus' return to, to a man going on a really long journey. And as we see in our text, we see that this master, his resources are vast. He has a lot. He is a wealthy guy. Because he's got servants, he's got a lot of money, as you'll see in just a little bit. But not only that, he also seems to be a really good guy who entrusts his servants with a lot of money, and he places a lot of value on them. He cares about them, and he wants them to enter into his work. This master, trusting his servants, he's going to give them an opportunity to put his money to good use. Essentially, the master, by giving these servants these funds, he's going to be asking them to improve his own kingdom. And the master, knowing that these three servants, they have um, varied gifts and varied abilities, he gives them a certain amount of money in accordance with their abilities. To one, he gave five talents. To another servant, he gave two talents. To another servant, he gave one talent, each according to their own ability. And then the master went away on a long journey. What's important to note is that these talents, these aren't uh, some of the skills or gifts in the modern sense. These talents here aren't in our passage. They're not like what you might see at a high school talent show where folks may be singing, juggling, doing magic tricks, or, you know, there's the classic one of the, the talent of touching the tongue to the tip of your nose. If you can do that, that is a real talent. But this, this isn't the talent that we're talking about. A talent in the New Testament times, it was more of a unit of money this was something that was a weight of precious metal, typically used for gold or silver. And so what we have here is the master is giving his servants bags of gold or silver to invest while he is on his journey. And let me tell you, this isn't a small sum of money we're talking about. This master is wealthy. I mean like Bill Gates wealthy. He's got a lot of green. And a talent, which is a whole lot of gold or silver, silver, it equals about 20 years of wages for a common worker. So if one talent equals about 20 years of a common worker's wages, then today a talent would probably be like almost over a million dollars. That's how much about one talent would be. And if Jesus told this parable today, he might say he gave his servants, well, he gave one, five million dollars. To another servant, he gave two million and to another servant, he gave one million according to their ability. And so you can see this is not a small sum of money, nor is this a small amount of responsibility that the servants have as the master's handed over all of this money and wealth. The master has included these servants into his work, and he's entrusted them with these funds. But he also expects them to be productive with what he has given them. You see, the title of this first part is called The Master's Challenge because the master is giving his servants an opportunity to be included in his business. This is an opportunity for the servants to show devotion to their master or they could show disdain depending on what they do with the master's funds. Because you have to understand, the master is already wealthy, so it's not like he needs the servants to do this. He's already wealthy on his own. But out of his sheer delight, for his servants. He includes them in his work. He entrusts them with his money 
so that they might enter into not only the master's joy, but also be a part of the master's work. This is an opportunity for the servants to share in the master's wealth and to also receive something from the master. And you know what? This should be good news for the servants because he's showing them, I value you. I trust you. I care about you. But for one of the servants, as we're going to see, um, this is clearly not good news because he does not love the master. And we're going to be able to tell by his response that he doesn't have the same disposition as the first two servants. So we're going to see in our next point the servant's response. And we're going to see this in verses 16 through 18. And we're going to see how the servants are going to respond to the master's challenge. So read with me in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents, he made two talents more. But he who had received only one talent, he dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. What's interesting here is that the master left his servants no specific instructions of what to do with the money. The servants are simply free to use their judgment of what they thought would be in the best interest of the master, but also themselves. So what the servants chose to do with the money is really quite revealing in regards to their love for the master or the lack thereof for their master. Their actions showed what was going on in their heart. Just like how you or I spend your money, right? How you are spend our time, how we spend, you know, our physical gifts, you know, or spiritual gifts, how we use those, it reveals a lot about our priorities in life. It really does. And that's exactly what's going on here. Because these actions, they speak very loudly about what's going on inside of the servant's heart. And so the servant who was given five million, what did he do? Well, he loved the master. So he put that five million to work and he made five million more, equaling 10 million. The servant who also loved the master, he was given two million and he put that two million to work and he made two million more, equaling four million. And the servant who was given one million, well, what did he do? He did nothing with the money. He hid it so that he would not have to be responsible, you know, for making more money and working hard to make the master more money. But he also hid it and dug it so that he wouldn't have to probably have the anxiety of worrying about, is it going to get stolen? Do I have to take care of what the master's really given me? And so out of these three servants, whom do you think loves the master? Who delighted to be included in the master's work? Well, of course, right? You would say it's the first two servants, right? Because their actions are speaking very loudly about their love, and it's consistent. Well, the servant who hid the money, well, clearly he wanted no part of the master's business. Otherwise, he would have invested this large sum of money. He would have put it to work like the other servants did. What Jesus is telling us is by describing these servants' response is that Jesus is very interested and how you or I live. Very interested in how we live. Because how we live and what we do with what we've been given 
is an indicator of what's truly going on in the inside. I, I think sometimes we may have the, um, the belief that if I, if I only prayed a salvation prayer, if I only said, Jesus, I love you, I trust you as my Lord and Savior, that that's the only thing that matters in the Christian life. I think some of us probably have those thoughts. I'm good. I told him I loved him. I made a decision. I prayed that prayer. Good. Check that box. But what you're failing to see is that the Lord takes account of the lives of his people who claim to be his. He's saying, if you love me, then you delight in my business. You delight in the kingdom work I have called you to do and which scripture calls us to do. If you are mine, the Lord says, then you take pleasure in bringing me glory with all that I have given you. And so church, if you claim to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to trust him eternally, then let me say very bluntly, then it should show in your life. Your actions should reveal what's truly going on in here. They should be consistent. If you claim to delight in bringing God glory, then what you do with what God has given you, it truly matters. How you use your money, how you use your time, how you use your physical gifts or your spiritual gifts, these things matter to God because he's given them to you for a purpose. You see, the point of this parable is not to focus on those who, who, who did a lot, but it's really to focus on the servant who did nothing. Because this is really a warning to us that if, if we live a Christianity that professes with its lips, but its heart is far from what we profess or our actions are far from, then we should be warned. And we should ask ourselves, do we truly believe? Is our faith truly authentic? You see, the faithfulness and diligence of the first two servants, their love and their interest in doing the kingdom work, that was an expression of their love for their master. Just like the lack of faithfulness and the lack of love was an expression of the third servant's lack of love for the master. The actions told the master a lot. An earlier passage in Matthew 6 reiterates this, this very point where Jesus says this. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be voted, devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus is asking you, whom do you serve? Do you serve your master? Or do you want to serve yourself? Whose business are you more interested in? Your heavenly father's? Or are you more interested in your own business? And how you all and how I individually respond to this question, it's going to be an indicator of the response that we are going to get back when the master comes back an indicator of how he will respond to us when he returns. Because you're either going to hear this. One, the Lord is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Now I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Or if you squander the gifts, resources, abilities, and you don't love the master, you don't love his gospel, his son, you'll probably hear this. I never knew you. Not only did I never know you, but I want you to be cast 
into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to be, you will not spend eternity with me, but you will be in hell for eternity. And that's because this individual doesn't love the gospel, doesn't love Jesus Christ who came to save us from our sins, to die on the cross for us, to, to be involved in the kingdom work of telling other people about Jesus. Then that will be the response that you'll probably hear, or that folks that you know will probably hear, unfortunately. What Jesus is saying to us is that he's very, very interested in how you live your life. He's not saying that you can earn your salvation. That's not true. But he's saying how you live your life is an indicator of an inner reality, an inner truth of whom you love and whom you love to serve. Your life either reflects love for your Heavenly Father or it reflects disdain for your Heavenly Father. There's no middle road. And as we'll see next, um, what you do with what you've been given from your Heavenly Father, it truly does matter. Because in our third part, we're going to see in verses 19 through 30, we're going to see the Master's judgment. And His judgment comes in response of how the servants responded. So let's read these verses together. We're going to start in verse 19 and we're going to go all the way to verse 30. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So, so I was afraid, and I went and I, I hid your talent in the ground. And here, here you have what is yours again. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are not easy words for us to hear. But let me implore you, listen to them closely. Because our Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but he's also speaking to us. These words speak directly to us as a warning and also a reward for what we do with what God gives us. The response of the three servants should be a lesson to us because their responses either invoke the master's favor 
or the master's judgment upon them. So we ask the question, well, how did the master judge his servants? Well, he judged them by what they did with what he gave them. That's how he did this. He says, do you see that the master responded just as favorably to the servant who brought him ten talents as he responded favorably to the one who brought him four talents? He said the same stuff to him. They both doubled the master's money. But uh, what I hope you see is the fact that the master isn't concerned with the amount of return as he is concerned with the fact that there is a proportionate return to what was given. Remember, the master gave the servants according to their ability. So he doesn't expect the servant who got two talents to return ten talents. And that's good news for us. It should be encouraging to us. Because the reality is, church, most of us are two-talent individuals and not five. And what that means is, is that the Lord is just as pleased with you or I and returning four talents as he is with the person who returns ten talents. What he's concerned about is, do you take pleasure in the Father's business? And do you utilize what he has given you for his glory, for his kingdom work? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The return the Father is looking for is proportionate to the gifting in which he has given you. And you know, I've come to realize um, that I may never be a Ravi Zacharias. I I may never be a Tim Keller, a John Piper, a Billy Graham, a Charles Spurgeon, or a Jonathan Edwards. But you know what? That's okay. Because if the Lord hasn't given me five talents, then he doesn't expect a five-talent return from me. If he only has given me two talents, then he's just as happy with me as he is the one who gives five talents and then returns it. Because he is the one who gives us everything in this life. You see, all that we have in this life is his. Your children, your money, your resources, house, home, car, your skills, your talents, your desires, they're all given to you by God. And he decides what we get, how much of what we get, and when we get it. And therefore, what we receive, we are to use for his glory, his kingdom work. Because if you have the gift of teaching, then the Lord is calling you to teach. If you have the gift of serving, serve faithfully. If you have the gift of leadership, I expect you, and your Lord expects you to lead. If you have the gift of wealth, And if you live in Northern Virginia, you do have the gift of wealth, worldly speaking. He expects us to give generously. If you have the gift of compassion, care for others. If you have the gift of hospitality, have people come over or host folks uh, when folks come in at church. If you have the gift of singing or music, sing to the Lord, use your talent for the Lord, whatever it may be. I've only listed a few things. There's so much more that the Father has given us. But you can see what I'm saying. If you've been given specific gifts, specific resources, then use them for God's glory. And if you're not using what God has given you for his glory, then let me tell you that these these gifts, these resources, are being wasted. And I say this because the scripture says this, be warned. You should ask yourself, If I'm not using my resources, what God gives me for his glorious kingdom work, if I'm not even interested in 
doing anything for God's glory or using any of my resources for, for his work, then you need to ask yourself, what does that say about your own faith in the Lord? And if you're not sure what your gifting is or, or what resources you have to give, then ask folks who know you well, and I'm sure they'll give you some good ideas or they'll help you. Ask one of us pastors. We'll sit down and help you, and we will find a place for you to serve, to use your gifts for God's glory. Because we are responsible proportionately for what we have been given, we are responsible proportionally to give that back to God, to use it for His kingdom glory. Because the Lord does not want us to be like the servant who did absolutely nothing with the master's money. Because you, if you live like that, there's a good chance the master will say to you and you will say to others, I never knew you. Whether it's when you leave this life or if the master returns in the time that you're living. And that's not a response that you want to hear because there are eternal consequences with that response from our Lord and Savior. Because you have to understand, this life is, is not like a video game. It's not like a Halo or Call of Duty or a Super Mario Brothers that I enjoy and maybe many of you enjoy, where we get to redo levels, we get to redo things over and over and over again. We get to respawn and live again to try it one more time. That's not, that's, that's not how the Lord has orchestrated things for us in this life. We get one life, and that life is short. We have one opportunity to enjoy all that the Master entrusts to us. And in that life, we have the option, we have the challenge to, to be interested in our Heavenly Father's business and use it for His glory. Or we can hoard whatever the God gives us and keep it to ourselves, and we can just be all about our own business. That's an, that's an option you have. But how you respond with what the Lord gives you, with his resources, it's an indicator of the reality that's really going on here in your heart. Because the way you live, it really matters to your Heavenly Father. Because the Heavenly Father wants the best. He wants you to take joy in his work. He wants you to take joy in the talents and the gifts and resources that he has given you. He wants you to enter into his kingdom joy, which lasts and fills us up. That's what he wants for us. But we have to love his son, Jesus, and we have to love the work Jesus came to do, and we have to love the resources, the gifts, the talents that Jesus has given us so that we may give those things back to the Lord in honor of him, because that's what he wants for us. God has created us to enter into his joy. And when we use what God gives us for his glory, we enter into the Father's joy. And it's a good, good feeling. The church, this um, coming Monday, I'm going to be here tomorrow, actually, I will be attending a funeral. Um, it was for my grandmother because she passed away uh, this past week. Um, we called her Nana, and we loved her dearly. We loved her not only because she was our grandmother, and we loved her, but it's because she poured out so much of herself, her time, talent, and treasures into our family, but not only just to our family, but to so many others. She taught us how to love really well, and that is something that I will never forget. She loved the Lord, and because she took pleasure in her Heavenly Father and her Heavenly Father's business, she chose to live a life of giving of herself, whatever the Lord gave her, to others. 
And I'm here today, and I have some of the resources, some of the gifts, because of what she gave to me, because the Lord gave to her and she gave to me. And that is honoring to the Lord. And I'm very thankful for that. But I know the motivation that she had was because she loved the Lord, and she knew the Lord would provide for her whatever she needed, and therefore she could give of herself. I remember giving her of her time, whether it was um, spending time taking care of children in nursery or watching us as grandchildren, letting us come over to sleepover, playing games all night long, coming to our baseball games, our basketball games, coming to our graduations, our birthdays, our weddings. She gave of her talents. She made elaborate blankets and quilts for all of us as grandchildren and great-grandchildren. She would make tons, huge containers of cookies and use whatever food that she had, whatever drink she had. You always give us to us gladly because whatever she had, she would give to us. And she would give to others in need and in her neighborhood. And she would go to them when they needed and she would care for them. She would give of her tre treasure, whether it was tithing to her church or, or giving, even giving us money as graduation, birthday, Christmas gifts or special occasions. She gave what she had for God's glory. And we tell you, it made an impact. And she leaves a legacy because of that. You see, church, Nana could give so much of herself to her family because she first knew she was loved. And she gave selflessly because she knew she would be filled up time and time again by her Lord and her Savior. Her master would not leave her with want. And Nana wasn't wealthy, but she gave what she could to the Lord and to those who she came in contact with. You know, Nana wasn't a five-talent seamstress, but she was really good. And she gave what she could make to others to bless them. You know, Nana didn't have as much time on this earth as, as maybe some of us will or other folks do. But when she spent time on this earth, she, she, she listened. She cared. She went to others. She helped. She served others in her church, in her community, in her family. She gave what she had to others for God's glory. And church, this is the kind of faithfulness the Lord is calling us to, to use what God has given you for God's glory. And let me tell you, when you use your resources, your gifts, time, talent, treasures for the Lord, you enter into the Father's joy, and there is a lasting joy that comes upon you. And let me tell you, if you've experienced that, then you know there is nothing that surpasses that kind of joy and fulfillment within inside you when you use what God has given you for his greater glory. And so church, I beg of you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of the other things that you want, extraneous things in life, they will be added to you in God's time and in God's ways. Because if you live to do the business of your heavenly father, if you love him, your heavenly father, and you love doing his work, then when you leave this life or when the master returns, he will say to you, like he said to my Nana just a few days ago, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And church, that's what we want to hear when we return to the Lord. Use what God has given you for his glory. You won't regret it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you have given us so much. So many gifts, so many talents, so many resources. We truly are a privileged people. Lord, we thank you for what you have given us. Lord, help us to use our gifts for your glory. Lord, don't let us waste what we've been given. Challenge us. Spurn us, Lord, to use what we've been given. Because when we do that, Lord, we enter into your joy, which lasts, which fills us up and makes us whole. Lord, you have created each of us for a purpose. You have given us all specific things. And we are, Lord, to use them for your glory. Help us with that, Lord. I pray that we would be a church that would love each other in this community. But, Lord, we would reach out to our community, to those outside of these walls. That we would care for them. And, Lord, that we would invite them so that they could enter into, Lord, your joy as well. Because that is the only hope we have in this life. As Lord is entering into your joy, into your pleasure. Because as we do that, you give us hope. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Who gives us grace when we fail. Lord, and provides us hope. Provides us resources to bring honor and glory to your name. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. And the church says, Amen. Church, hear this benediction from Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Church, we'll see you next week.